Today, even pre-pandemically, roughly 70% of our communication was already virtual, emails, conference calls. That shot up to roughly 100% for all teams that had the capability to do so. The reality is as body language hasn't disappeared, it has transformed. We now embed digital body language signals and cues that help bring back a sense of nuance and tone. The problem is we often don't realize we are using these signals and we must master this new skill, just like we spent years mastering traditional body language in our 20th century world. Hey, everybody. I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. My guest today is Erica Dewan. She's the author of Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance. Eric is on the podcast today because we are all Zoom overloaded, FaceTime overloaded, Skype exhausted. And on today's show, we talk about how to make the most of this weird digital landscape we live in and how to communicate effectively so it's done right first time and also with a sense of empathy and compassion for the people we're communicating with. So whether you lead cross-cultural teams across vast time zones or you're just trying to communicate more effectively with your friends and your family and you're still using FaceTime and Skype and all the platforms, we'll sit back and enjoy this conversation with Erica Dewan. Hey, Erica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Lori. Well, I'm so pleased you're here today. Before we get started talking about your amazing new book, why don't you tell us all who you are and what you're all about? My name is Erica Dewan. I'm the author of Digital Body Language. I grew up as a shy and introverted girl, struggled to find my voice for most of my life. And one of the things, because I was so quiet, was I developed a knack for studying people's body language, what allowed certain people to build trust versus others. And I think a lot of this had to do with the fact that I grew up in an Indian household where my parents spoke Punjabi at home. And I often didn't know everything they were saying, but I was studying their body cues. And at school, I had accented English. So I used body language to really understand not what people were saying, but how they were saying it. My passion for body language grew and I ended up teaching communication and collaboration. Today, I realize that we are all immigrants to a new world that I call digital body language. And I'm excited to help others navigate the challenges that I experienced in the 90s with traditional body language in our changing times. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned accented English, because I think as a speaker and a writer and someone who travels all around the world, we all speak accented English. What do you think about that? One of my clients has an amazing story about how we have to really check our bias in our ways of speaking. She ran a global steering committee where she was based in New York. She had a team member in London, a team member in Sydney, and a team member in Buenos Aires. Argentina. And her colleague in Argentina was not speaking up much, especially in the world of video calls and phone calls, the norm for a global team. And she often assumed that maybe he just wasn't as interested. Finally, she got the courage to IM him one day during one of these calls saying, is everything okay? What do you think about this? And he said, I'm having such a hard time translating three different English accents at the same time, an American, a British, and an Australian accent. This is a really important lesson that we all have to check our own biases and create cultures that are truly inclusive in our modern day world. 
Thank goodness for Zoom and the ability to turn on captions. That has saved me as I work with global teams. So I'm so glad to hear that. That's like such a smart way to begin this conversation. You wrote this amazing new book on digital body language and it's so well-timed. So let's start there. Why do we collectively need to become better aware of our digital body language? Research shows that roughly 75% of face-to-face communication is our nonverbal body language. Pacing, pauses, gestures, smiles. These were the cues that allowed us to understand whether we had built trust, whether people felt respected or not. Today, even pre-pandemically, roughly 70% of our communication was already virtual. Emails, conference calls. That shot up to roughly 100% for all teams that had the capability to do so. The reality is, as body language hasn't disappeared, it has transformed. We now now embed digital body language signals and cues that help bring back a sense of nuance and tone. The problem is we often don't realize we are using these signals and we must master this new skill just like we spent years mastering traditional body language in our 20th century world. So what has the loss of nonverbal body cues really meant in today's workplace? Imagine this scenario. Ethan is a team member who gets a fire drill request from his boss. He stays up all night working on the deliverable. Finally, he finishes it at 6 a.m. His boss comes in at 7.40 a.m. before the 8 a.m. meeting. He gives the deliverable to his boss and he sees the relief, the exhale in his boss's face. He sees his boss give it to his boss and... Ethan feels valued, respected. He knows that his leader knows how hard he worked. Now let's imagine this in a world with no body cues. Ethan stays up all night. He sends that deliverable at 7.40 a.m. by email. He may get no response from his boss. He may get a K period. This is a situation where Ethan may not feel as valued and as respected. So what was implicit in our traditional body language signals now has to be explicit in our digital body language. Can you give us some examples about how to be more explicit? I mean, we're all limited by these tiny screens, relatively speaking, in front of our faces. So how do we become more explicit and more intentional? I'll share two stories of how leaders were not as explicit and what would have been a better scenario. One leader, Adriel, had a quick idea for a project that she wanted her team member, Brian, to work on. So one Thursday night, she sends him a no-subject calendar invite for a meeting the next morning, 8 a.m. for an hour. She comes to the meeting, and little does she know, Brian thought he was about to get fired. There had been budget cuts during that week, and he didn't sleep all night. He assumed the worst. He looked exhausted. She said, I want to talk about the client. He says, oh, I thought I was about to get fired. Now, while this story may seem trivial, the honest truth is to never confuse a brief message with a clear message. Our words carry different weight, especially with the asynchronous timing of our messages. We don't have real-time feedback. So holding your horses and thinking before you type can go a long way in creating that culture of respect, empathy, and collaboration. Let me give you another example. One of my clients sent a message to his boss, Tom, that said, do you want to speak Wednesday or Thursday? And Tom's response was, yes. I like to share this story because In today's world, reading messages carefully is the new listening and writing clearly is the new empathy. Knowing how to use these tools not only helps create clarity, it avoids levels of anxiety, misunderstanding, and paranoia among your teams. And I recently ran a study that showed that the average worker is wasting four hours a week on poor and unclear digital communication. This has an impact on productivity, but also on innovation and true customer and client service. So how much of the responsibility falls on managers and supervisors to communicate clearly and how much on workers, freelancers, and employees. 
I talk about four laws of digital body language in my new book, and the second law is what I call communicate carefully. And I think baseline, this is a skill that we all need and we all must role model. In addition to that, I often like to recommend that when leaders don't communicate carefully, the impact that that has on businesses, on lost profits, can be more immense. I'll give you an example. A chief marketing officer was on a Zoom call just in the last few months giving some feedback to her team for a high priority deliverable that she was going to present to the board. And she reviews a slide and says something of a like of, let's iterate on this topic a bit more. She thought she had said, let's add two more bullet points on the slide, but she didn't. The next week, the team comes back with 10 new additional slides on that topic. They had spent about 40 hours on it, Finally, she says, okay, let's whittle it down to two bullet points. They feel undervalued. They wasted a lot of time. And she could have been much more clear instead of brief. And so this is an example where leaders need to understand that their messages carry different weight and can create confusion if we don't take that extra step to master digital body language consciously, just like we spent years with courses and on-the-job feedback to master traditional body language. It's interesting that you chose the pronoun she for the leader, because I think there's a real gender dynamic here. So can you talk a little bit about how gender and identity play in the world of communications and what we could do to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves here with assumptions? Some of you may be familiar with Deborah Tannen's book in the 90s. She wrote a book in 1990 called You Just Don't Understand Women and Men in Conversation about some of the different traditional body language signals of how men versus women communicate. Now, I will say that I don't think that a lot of communication research has sped up with the times, be it gender non-binary or someone who has a pronoun of he uh, versus she. And so I'm going to share some general themes of what I discovered across the gender spectrum. But I think that this is a frontier where more research uh, should be done. What I identified in uh, my studies of gender differences in digital body language is that there are masculine to feminine styles of digital body language. And I know women that have a masculine style and I know men that have a feminine style. For example, a more masculine style is short, to the point, assertive language. A more feminine style may be throwing in those emojis, those exclamations, using more language that has longer spellings of certain phrases. And again, we are not all the same and all men and all women are not all the same. But some common things that have been shown in research is women often feel more pressure to sprinkle or pepper, soften up their messages with exclamations or emojis. Men don't feel that pressure. Another study showed that a woman that was younger in the workplace that used multiple emojis in a workplace email when compared to a man at any rank level in that same workplace, the woman would be more likely to be seen as incompetent, the man would be more likely to be seen as casual or friendly. So similar to some traditional body language biases, such as uptalk and voice pitch, there are new gender digital body language biases that we must be aware of. I'm a big fan of breaking these barriers and being who you are. At the same time, it's effective to be conscious of some of these dynamics as well. So everybody wants to know, emoji or not emoji now, based on what you just shared. So where do you fall on this? Here's my general rule of thumb. Emojis are like the new facial expressions. Whether you're happy, sad, grateful, they could signal the furrowed brows of a question. They could signal the raised eyebrows of excitement. They could signal your smile with a simple smiling emoji. They could also signal anger with a turned raised eyebrow emoji. I think that emojis are a very powerful tool 
able to show the range of our emotive feelings when we can't be face to face and we can't signal those cues. So I'm a big fan of using emojis, but think before you emoji. Make sure that someone will understand it. And especially if there's a high power gap or a high trust gap, you may want to err on the side of formality first and then gradually use these tools over time. You know, you write about formality versus informality in the book. So let's talk about that for a second, because I think that's a real interesting perspective that you bring. I spent a lot of time in my new book, Digital Body Language, studying some of the issues that caused digital anxiety. And we all know, we've seen the research of high levels of anxiety in the workplace today. And one of the most common themes was this idea of formality confusion. For example, if we have a back and forth with a colleague and we usually communicate with them in email with one-liners, and then they all of a sudden start ending their emails with best regards. Or for example, we usually text someone and hop on quick calls with them, and then they start asking to work with their assistant to get a time on their calendar. These are examples of what I'd call a shift from informality to formality or the reverse formality to informality. Formality confusion can often create levels of anxiety. And my general rule of thumb is number one, assume good intent. Maybe someone is busy. Maybe, you know, an individual just needs more time to get back to if you don't hear back from them. But at the same time, if you are seeing a repeated pattern of change and you are concerned about it or it's getting in the way of work, don't hesitate to pick up the phone. Picking up the phone is worth a thousand emails to just get clarity, to check if your interpretations are correct and create that culture where you're not ruminating or in paranoia and instead really engaging most effectively with them. You know, I love that you use the phrase pick up the phone because I'm, you know, a 90s kid as well. So that's what we used to do when I first started out. There were still phones on desks in corporate America. I wonder if picking up the phone is still a little bit better than Zoom, if you have a perspective on this. I know for me, there's something more intimate about a phone conversation than staring at someone's face and trying to be performative and show body cues to reassure that person when I'm on the phone. I can almost focus on the message and I can listen a little bit better. What do you think about that? I think, Lori, you are pinpointing something I identified in the research, which is we all have different digital body language preferences. And I'll give you an example. In my book, I decoded, especially across age groups, and it's not just age-based, but there's different styles. There are digital body language natives who really prefer chat tools. They don't even want to get on the phone. They have what I'll call phone phobia. If you call them out of the blue, they're like, why haven't you scheduled this on my calendar? At the other end are individuals more like us who grew up with a phone and a landline who are like, why didn't you just pick up the phone? Why are you emailing back and forth for something that we could just discuss in three minutes? And so the reality is, is that we are all not the same. I think that we all have different styles. And for you, it may be much more beneficial to just pick up the phone. What we often find in the research is also introverts prefer the phone rather than having to look at the camera, having to look at their own face on a screen. It's not natural for us to see our own body language when we're trying to connect with others. But at the same time, for teamwork, oftentimes leaders really want to use the power of video body language to create connection as well as in first impressions in that first meeting. So my general suggestion is know when to change the channel. Don't just default to video. Don't just default to phone. Think about what's the complexity of the information? What's the familiarity with the person? What's the urgency of it? And those different answers will help you know if it's really quick, just get to the phone. If it's complex and maybe a negotiation, maybe getting on that video call matters. 
Well, I love that you began the conversation talking about how much of our communication was already online before the pandemic. Because years ago, and we're talking now a decade ago, I had a young woman working for me and I left her a voicemail message and she would call me back right away and say, what's up? And I'm like, if I wanted to tell you what's up, I would have just told you what's up. I left you a voicemail. I expect you to listen to it. Now I'm ashamed of my attitude because I realize I wasn't thinking about her, her generation, her style. I didn't demonstrate empathy. But also there is a power differential there. And if I do leave you a voicemail, I do expect you to listen to it. But it's just so interesting to me that we were struggling with this before the pandemic, to your earlier point. And I wonder, are you optimistic or pessimistic about whether or not we're going to get this right? I love your story, Lori, because in some ways I would already define you as you're a digital body language adapter first. You prefer some of those traditional body language cues of, of respect, but you've had to get comfortable being uncomfortable with individuals that are different. And I'll share a similar story as I answer your question. I had an intern who was taking messages for me. And he said, Bob called. And I said, which Bob? Bob from Idaho, Bob from Minnesota. And he didn't know how to take a message because he didn't grow up in a landline world. He grew up with cell phones. To, he knew exactly who had called. And so similar to where there are individuals who their default is those traditional body language cues, there's a whole nother generation rising where their digital body language first centric. And in some ways, they have to relearn some of those traditional body language cues, whether it's making sure they have direct eye contact in face-to-face meetings, making sure they don't miss the lean in or look down at their phone too much. And so this is a moment where we can really foster that cross-generational exchange in a deeper way and learn from one another. And again, not all young people are the same. Not all old people are the same. I know 50-year-olds that look at their phone all the time. I know 35-year-olds that have brilliant face-to-face engagement. But I think that I am hopeful, I am optimistic, that if we can take what we've learned in the last year, hopefully with lessons from the book Digital Body Language, and think about what has allowed us to be more inclusive, more collaborative with video calls, with having many people be part of the conversation that weren't just in the office, as well as what worked pre-pandemic around when we really needed places and spaces to come together versus work from anywhere. I think that those lessons and that reflection will really prepare us forward to move to optimism in a better transformative way of working versus going back to work to some of the challenges that just existed pre-pandemic. Well, if there's one thing you would love to leave our community with today as we wrap up the conversation, what is it? Less haste equals more speed. The pressure to communicate quickly is often causing leaders to reward the fastest person who responds in an email and a video call versus the most thoughtful ideas. Take the time to slow down, give your team members the space to think, and the truly best ideas will come. That's a really beautiful way to end the conversation. Erica, if people are interested in learning more and getting your book, where can they go to find out more? My new book, Digital Body Language, is available everywhere from Amazon to Barnes and Nobles to Audible. I hope you'll check it out. Have a book club, gift it to your boss, gift it to your colleague, gift it to your children so that we can all relearn these skills of connection even from afar. This book will not only help you when you're online, it will also help you understand how traditional body language is changing because we've spent a year online. And last but not least, if you want to learn more, you can find me at my website, ericadewan.com. I include a free digital body language quiz on the site that you can take to understand your style. So fun. Thanks again for being a guest today. Thank you so much, Lori. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation on Punk Rock HR this week. 
Now, for more information, all the notes, all the highlights, all the resources, you know where to go. You can head on over to laurierudeman.com forward slash podcast. Now that's all for today and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR.